Hello, all you curious crustaceans. Thanks so much for coming back to another episode of A Little Greener. I'm one of your hosts, Casey. And I'm Sarah. Welcome back. We're so happy to have you for episode four. And it's a very special episode because today is Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. Sarah, do you want to tell us a little bit about Earth Day? Yeah. First of all, Casey, were you aware much about Earth Day growing up? Like, did you really know what Earth Day was at all? Let me tell you about my first Earth Day memory. I was in kindergarten. I was five years old and the school wanted to plant a tree. My dad owns a garden center. So it was like, yes, I will donate this tree. My uh, principal at the time, her name was Mrs. Harlovich, dressed up as Mother Nature. And so she would go on the morning announcements in like a safari hat and like a, a monkey on her shoulder. And she was Mother Nature. And I helped plant a tree at Franklin Elementary School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. There is a pin oak that still lives and is now 20 something years old. That was my first awareness of Earth Day. Awesome. What about you? Your legacy. Um, so again, I don't really recall being super aware of Earth Day or what it was. I feel like as I got older, I, I sort of thought that Earth Day was like, you know, National Pancake Day or something like that. Like one, one of those holidays that was just kind of like, oh, we're going to stay. Formed but- by the pancake industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Hallmark holiday, Earth and Day is. I didn't really <laughs> Buy a card. <laughs> uh, you know, like National Pet Day or whatever. Right these just kind of fun uh days where we we recognize this random thing um so no it well again it wasn't until much later in life that i actually became aware that earth day is really important to environmental education and environmental policy um so Earth Day, for those of you that are like me and may not have been aware, it started back in 1970, and it was it was a, a senator from Wisconsin, Senator Nelson, who originally came up with this idea and brought other folks on board. And his idea was to sort of have a teach-in to to raise awareness about pollution. So you may be familiar with uh, Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring. It came out in the 1960s and uh, it really started to kind of raise awareness about pollution in the United States and the, the issues that that was causing to the environment. So this creation of Earth Day really built off of that. But that original idea of having this teach-in at college campuses kind of ballooned and took on a life of its own and it became a much wider event with 20 million people participating across the United States and it had some really significant results um you know basically credited with the formation of the Environmental Protection Agency the passage of the Clean Air Act the Clean Water Act and the Endangered Species Act over the next few years um which as we know have made really really real and tangible impacts on the environment these are the keystone legislations for why you can drink clean water and, and breathe clean air. Uh, anytime someone talks about rolling back these regulations, which they have in, in some administrations, it, it's really interesting to learn about the history because people were watching ash fall just down in their cities from burning coal and other energy factors and from factories. And this is really legislation that helped us give Americans more of a right to a a clean environment, which is necessary for 
just living your life. So it's a really important day overall, even if you don't know. Um, and it, gosh, a couple of years ago was the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. So it's it's endured over time. Yeah, just just last year, right? 70. Oh yeah. It's guys, I don't know what year it is anymore. I thought it was <laughs> 2022. Oh no, last year, but we were all very distracted in case you forgot. We were very distracted on the 50th right. anniversary of yeah. Earth Day. Probably yeah. didn't didn't quite we get didn't do the, over. Yeah, yeah. We, we, should have, we should have a giant uh, 50 51st celebration yes. here. So hopefully you are recognizing and celebrating Earth Day in in some way, and and hopefully part of your celebration is listening to us. So thanks for joining us. Casey, I also wanted to touch base real quick on what we were talking about last week. You were talking to us about backyard birds, feeding backyard birds, doing some bird watching. We put out the challenge to identify at least one bird species outdoors around where you live. You said if you were feeling adventurous about try to find five bird species. Did you do any bird watching? I did. I kind of like that our podcast gives us homework because I think I like structure in a lot of ways and little goals to accomplish. This is guys, this is such a great little goal to have with very little consequences other than like (laughs) learning more. It's great. So, uh, yes, I, Andrew and I sat on our back porch on the one lovely day we had this week and ate pizza. And I was like, Andrew, we have to go listen for birds for the podcast. And we heard a Robin and a Cardinal, but couldn't see them, which I was like, very proud that we were able to figure that out. Yes. And then I'm sure it was, it was my epic Cardinal. It it was definitely, I was like, is that Sarah over there? Um, but no, it was in fact a cardinal calling for, for a lady cardinal. There were a couple of them, I think, competing. Um, and then we saw a house sparrow that we heard make noise, but uh, I would have not been able to figure it out. And I was really hoping to see more. We really spent like over an hour out there, which was really good, but we did not see more in our backyard. Our neighborhood was not uh, flush with birds, but I did see some at work. I saw a morning, morning yeah. dove, and then we have thousands of grackles at work. So I was yeah. like, well, that's five, I guess. What yeah. about you, Sarah? <laughs> yeah, I kind of similarly. So I didn't, I did not get out as much this past week as I would have liked to. I did hear both robins and cardinals in my backyard. The only one that I got a true visual ID on in my yard this week was uh, nuthatch, white-breasted nuthatch. Yeah. uh, In one of my trees and got some photos of the little nuthatch. So that was cute. And then, yeah, morning doves as well. And then just today I spent a little bit outside. It was a lovely day today. And I had, I was hearing so many, um, what my bird net app told me was a tufted titmouse. Tufted titmice, is that the plural? <laughs> I don't know I don't what the know, plural I don't know how you say it, but there were a ton of them. They were, ever, they were multiple. I was hearing calls from all directions, and I could not find a single one. But I'm sure that's what they were, so I at least got an, an audio ID on those. And then the other big one the other day that I'm so mad that I, I didn't get, there was a hawk. There was a great view. I had a hawk circling and I ducked inside. I keep my camera right inside my door for moments like this. But in the two seconds that it took me to, to duck in and grab my camera, it had flown off. So I did not get an idea. ID. My, my guess would be that it was a red-tailed hawk, but a hawk 
of some sort. That's cool. Birds of prey are exciting. I, oh yeah. I, I get very excited. I just, I wish I could have gotten a confirmed ID. Yeah. Confirmed photo of it. There you go. It's, it's like seeing birds out in the wild. You're going to see them one second, not see them the next. You got to be really observant. I will say I saw a red winged blackbird as you pointed out last week. One Yay! was at the feeder at work at that feeder that near the hummingbirds. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I saw it there and I was like, Oh, I have to tell Sarah. So, yeah. yes. so, uh, Maybe well, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad that we both accomplished our homework and yes. got somewhere this week. We, we hope you, you all did too. Hope you enjoyed bird watching. I did want to mention real quick too, very shortly after we recorded that episode, I came across an article that was talking about how bird watching makes you happier. And the, the, the headline of the article was actually, birds make you as happy as money study finds. <laughs> so it says it turns out being around 14 more bird species was the equivalent to participants earning an extra $190 a month. So huh. there you go. This was from it. It was from a European study. It was from a survey done back in 2012. And then they were just compiling the data from this 26,000 people across 26 European countries. So I have so many questions about this study. <laughs> I, I should have read it. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, and obviously I yeah. didn't, I didn't actually read the study, but the headline just caught my, caught my eye uh, and made me smile. And I mean, whether you can put an equivalent dollar amount on it is whatever, but but yeah, it makes again, you happy, just, guys. Yeah, anecdotally, we watched some birds and it made us happy. So there yeah, you go. <laughs> and we hope it makes you happy too. So tag us, tell us what birds you found this week and we want to hear about it. Yeah. And Casey, I've got one more question for you before for we move on to our next section. And this is going to seem like it has nothing to do with nature, but it's going to tie in later, I promise. What are some of your least favorite household chores that you have to do? Uh, so my least favorite household chore for sure is cleaning the dishes. I hate it. I have always hated it. I have avoided it. My parents didn't really make me do it very much. Um, something about old food just like really is awful to me. (laughs) Um, and when Andrew and I moved in together, our house did not have a dishwasher and I was like, we're going to get one. And I don't know if this is an East Coast thing, but everyone who walks into my house points at my portable dishwasher. It is a dishwashing unit. It's not built into the counter, Uh but you can roll it up to your sink and hook it up. And that's how you wash the dishes. It runs just the same. It's just not built in. But everyone always comes to my house and is like, what is that? And I have to explain it, but that's what I grew up with. So it's not weird. Have you seen one of those before? Actually, no, no, that is, yeah, that's new (laughs) to me. I didn't, didn't know that was a thing. Well, the house I grew up in is almost a hundred years old. So like, it just didn't have that amenity. It was built with yeah. an outhouse, you know? So yeah. I just thought it was normal. Cause that's how I grew up, but I bought one and I said, this is going to save us from fighting. Um, and <laughs> we, it's the, it's not a great quality one. So occasionally it's not draining water super well. So I'm sure it's also a source of consternation for Andrew, but I don't have to clean as many dishes and he's very, uh, kind to me and I take on other chores, but that's my least favorite chore. Very nice. I think mine is, is the outdoor stuff. Mm. Everybody that knows me knows this. Casey knows this. <laughs> yes, 
I, I complain about it a lot. Uh, lawn mowing. Mowing the lawn is probably my least favorite thing, which is not, it shouldn't be. It's outdoor time, right? It shouldn't be that bad. I just get to, you know, go. Andrew feels side. the same as you. He hates it. It's just, it's so loud and there's always an issue with the mower or I'm out of gas or then it turns into, well, I got, now I got to go to the gas station and it's just... I would just rather sit and watch the birds than mow my lawn. So- Sarah posts on Instagram every time she mows her lawn as a celebration slash complaint about it. I, I actually do. That's, that's not an <laughs> exaggeration at all. Uh, first one's coming soon. I'm already. I'm the only house on my <laughs> cul-de-sac that has not mowed my lawn yet. So. Anyway, we'll talk more about that later, guys. Again, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute with our review for the week. Welcome back, everyone. I am very excited about our review for this week. This is maybe something that's already popped up on a lot of your radars listening, but Casey's going to talk to us about a new film documentary, I guess, that recently made its debut on Netflix called Seaspiracy. So I'm really excited to hear her thoughts on this one. So Casey, go ahead and take it away. Yes. So uh, if you're listening, this is a couple weeks ago because remember we, we film in advance. So this is brand new to me. This is within the last week. This has come out. It's number 10 currently on Netflix, Seaspiracy. And uh, I, I do want to give spoiler warnings. We're going to talk about what this documentary is about. Now, typically when you're going into a documentary, you don't need spoilers about what the documentary is about. You should go in knowing what it's going to be about. But Seaspiracy is not really sure what it's going to be about until about 20 minutes into actual film. So the host and the filmmaker, his name is Allie. Allie does not seem to be any sort of expert on the ocean at all. And first I thought this was a rhetorical device, right? We, we open up this documentary and he starts talking about plastics and start talking about whaling. And first I thought it was just like, okay, he doesn't really know that much about the ocean and we're just sort of following his learning journey around, but sort of rhetorically, like this can't actually be how this is coming about, but you see video of him on Wikipedia researching things. So no, he just doesn't seem to know all that much about the ocean. And basically Ali's journey goes from thinking about whaling and plastics, eventually maybe 20, 25 minutes in really starting to go down on the commercial fishing industry. Now, to be clear, there are huge problems with the commercial fishing industry. Huge issues. It is a big threat facing our oceans. And Sea Spirit Sea does have a lot of information in it. It's got a lot of statistics. They've got some really beautiful graphics about how ocean life works, which I really appreciated. But as an environmental educator, what we know is that when we talk to someone about problems facing the environment, we know that if we overdo all the problems facing the environment when we're talking to someone, especially someone who's new, that we, that can result in actually a backfiring. If you overwhelm someone, especially with a lot of emotional imagery. So there is a lot of animal death in this uh, documentary. There's also human death in this documentary as well. Um, when you overwhelm them with all of these issues, 
it can cause what we call moral disengagement. Basically, you're being asked to empathize with too much. And now just psychologically, you're trying to back away from the issue. This is part of the reason we think people have trouble with climate change is they're like, this is too big and I cannot address it. And therefore, I don't want to even talk about it or believe it because it's too much. So when you do that with the ocean, my experience watching Seaspiracy is basically as if I were on social media scrolling through every terrible headline you could read about the ocean with like autoplay videos of graphic animal death. And it is uh, pretty awful. I, I felt really overwhelmed. But the other side of it is actually I am someone who has some background in ocean conservation issues. And uh, he just really flipped uh, around every single issue currently facing the ocean. A lot of it stems from commercial fishing, but he also tackles things like coral bleaching, shark finning, whaling, both commercial and quote unquote sustainable whaling. He talks about farmed fish. He talks about marine protected areas. And, and really, he just goes through the list and is like, you think farm fishing is sustainable? It's not sustainable. You think marine protected areas are good? They're actually not real. You think that this sustainable fishing guide is good? It's not. And all of these topics could have their own, and some of them do have their own documentaries about them and are worth exploring in detail. But when you're trying to talk to an audience that doesn't have a very high base knowledge and try and cover such a wide array of topics with a very clear bias and not enough information to cover each of those topics, you're just not doing, I'm not really 100% sure what the point of the documentary is. And in the end, while I was mad about the moral disengagement, I think what I realized after stewing on it and ranting about it for like three days, I think that's what they wanted. I think they wanted moral disengagement from the audience because basically their thesis at the end is that you should eat less seafood, that eating seafood is not moral. That's a stance to make. Um, I think that he does not do a good enough job covering all the cultural reasons that much of the world's population really relies on seafood as a big source of protein that's a part of people's culture. Uh, So cutting out seafood is really already a privileged thing to do, and you're not really delving into all the intricacies facing the population of the planet. But I think if you are trying to overwhelm your audience and inspire this moral disengagement, It is totally reasonable as someone watching this totally new to the field saying, oh, you're right. I can't deal with any of these issues and I'm just going to not eat fish and I'm not going to do anything else about it. I don't want, I don't want to engage any further with any of these topics. So in, in the end, it seems like many of the people involved are people who don't eat meat, which is a totally valid, totally like fine thing to do. And, and there are ways not to eat meat that are absolutely beneficial for our planet. And I'm sure we're going to talk later in this, this podcast, not today, but in a future episode about how our diet impacts the planet, but you can't just boil such complicated things down to such simple black and white issues when there's so much more to it. And so I found that extremely frustrating. Also, this documentary was filmed and completed prior to our current cultural moment, but we are having a moment where we've seen a huge increase in hate crimes against Asian folks and people who have Asian and Pacific Islander heritage. And I don't think that the documentary treats people from Asian countries as anything more than a monolith. For example, he talks a lot about Japanese whaling. Norway whales too. uh, They're also doing commercial whaling. They also have decided not to be part of the international 
Wailing Moratorium. That's not really, they, they show their quote-unquote sustainable whaling portion as being a European thing, whereas they're painting Japan and Hong Kong and other countries in a completely different light. And I think what's important to, to do when we're in conservation is to really interrogate our, our own views about how we talk about other countries and other cultures and whether or not we're painting people as as diverse and complicated as they actually are. We are doing that. We are trying to make sure that when we talk about things like wildlife trafficking, that you're not just putting out blanket statements. But I felt like in this documentary, that's they weren't treating it with enough nuance. And that's something that's really important right now. Again, I'm sure this is filmed way before we were having this conversation and maybe if the filmmaker was redoing it now, they would look at that perspective, but that's the product that's out in the world. And that's something to think about when you're making these sort of documentaries. And I would also say involve more experts. <laughs> there's a lot of people involved in this who are very passionate about the ocean. And there's also like Dr. Sylvia Earle is a really amazing ocean conservationist, but I would have liked to see people with a lot more expertise getting to spend more time to talk about their particular area of expertise instead of just getting a big list of all the issues that are in the ocean. So my review for Seaspiracy is big thumbs down. I did not enjoy <laughs> it. I don't think it's a good idea that if you don't really know anything about the ocean, that you start here. I think it's going to be exhausting for you. You're going to get a lot of information, but you're not going to come away informed. So follow Dr. Sylvia Earle if you want to check her yeah. out. Like she's got some amazing things. Um, she runs an organization about Hope Spots, which is basically people trying to start their own marine protected areas. That's amazing. That's a real tangible thing that you could be doing to help the ocean is, is helping with hope spots, especially if you live on the coast. You can check out Seafood Watch, which is a US-based, this filmmaker is from the UK. So he does talk about some different certification systems. I look at Seafood Watch. They have a lot of really great information and statistics. Um, we'll talk more about them, I'm sure, in a later episode because I'm pretty passionate about that. But yeah, no, Seaspiracy wasn't my cup of salted tea, I guess. <laughs> Thanks, Casey. That that was great. And I like all of the kind of specific things that you pointed out. I will say there's a, a few things I want to come in on real quick. I haven't watched this. I did not watch Seaspiracy. I was going to watch it on the same night that Casey watched it. <laughs> and I watched the trailer and I said, nope, I can't handle this right now. And then two hours later, I got a text from Casey saying, hey, don't watch Seaspiracy. Uh, and I said, done, noted. <laughs> I, I will not watch it. Be because just from the trailer, I got a sense of, of a lot of the things that she just said. And I think that it is hard. You know, I, I, I want to think that all of these people making it were, were well-intentioned, but I, I feel like anytime you try to boil any conservation or environmental issue down to black and white, you're you're not doing anyone any favors favors because there is so much nuance to every issue and so many aspects to consider and i think thinking about local people and cultures is a huge one that uh, that gets missed a lot so i'm glad that you drew attention to that too you can't have conservation without taking care of people too so he taps just a little bit into it. And that's part of the issue is like, he just mentions a little bit right. about how commercial fishing ends up impacting people who it's more culturally important to in Western Africa. But again, like it just, it, all of every issue in here deserves more attention and more thought and care to discuss Yeah, rather than 
having that kind of just total, just throwing things at you over and over right. and over and over again. So. And then it becomes even more challenging too with social media. I think we're, we're already starting to see everything has to split into two groups. So at either you watch this and you're like, yeah, I totally buy in and fishing is horrible and I'm never going to eat fish again. Or if you're pushing back on it, it's like, well, all of this is, no, nothing was valuable in here and nothing was true. And, and the middle can be true, right? There could be some valuable pieces of information here that are true, but just not nuanced enough. As you said, Casey, you're just not, you're not given enough information uh, about them. And so I think recognizing that middle ground is important too. And again, if you're interested in this sort of topic, start looking up ocean conservationists. Um, someone who did, <laughs> I was happy to see this review. She's her tag name on Instagram is a uh, sophistication, um, which I love. <laughs> And she is a uh, marine biologist, so go check her out. Um, and she came up with a little video that kind of had my rant points, a lot of those same ones and some of her own as well in a really short format, which I shared on Instagram because I was glad to see someone else agreed with me because I also saw a lot of people who also really liked it. So definitely there's middle ground. There were some valuable parts, but I don't think for the average person, it's the right move to watch. Don't waste your time on it. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate your review and stay tuned, folks. We'll be back with our main discussion in just a minute. Welcome back, everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started with our main discussion today. And we're going to be focusing on some ways that we can live sustainably. Now, the title of this episode is called A Slacker's Guide to Sustainability. And this is actually from a, a blog post that I wrote last year that was kind of inspired from a day that I was just tired, man. <laughs> and so I think sometimes even when you're somebody who cares about the environment, you you want to live in a sustainable way, it's something that you, you care about. Figuring out how to make those sustainable changes can sometimes feel overwhelming. And especially with everything that we have going in, on in our lives from work to family, other commitments that we have, I think even sometimes things that people say are, are easy or simple, sustainable swaps, those types of things can even sometimes be hard. And it sort of feels like anytime you want to do something to help the planet, there's a commitment, right? It's going to be a major uh, habit shift for you or a lifestyle switch that you have to make. Or even like I was thinking about, man, I, I need to stop using Ziploc bags, right? I still have little plastic sandwich bags that I don't use very often, but man, I can't just stop using them. I have to get something else to replace them with. I don't have any little storage containers. So I, now I have to go, do I have to go buy little bags? Do I get bees wrap? What do I, you know, so everything is, is something that you have to, you have to do. And sometimes you just don't have the, the mental energy or the physical energy to, to make those changes. So today's discussion, hopefully, is going to give you some really, truly super, super easy things that you can be doing, changes that you can make when you want to live sustainably, 
but you also don't want to get up off the couch. <laughs> so we're going to talk about some things that you might have to do around the house that might make your life a little bit easier. And I do want to note before we get started into this, really, I think all of the things that we're going to be discussing could have their own episodes. Like there's more to them. There's more that we can get discuss, but we're going to kind of stay a little bit surface level today and, and give you a, a few different ideas of things that you can do in different areas. So we talked a little bit about our least favorite household chores earlier. I'm going to start with my least favorite household chore and thinking about lawn care and how we can be a little more sustainable with our yard work. So this is a big deal. We have about 40 million acres of land in the United States that's covered by lawn. And while lawns can potentially be beneficial as carbon sinks, taking up carbon dioxide from the, uh, the atmosphere, we basically erase that benefit and then some by the maintenance that we do to keep these lawns looking quote unquote pretty for ourselves. And lawns are also basically wastelands for wildlife. So really the only creature that a pretty green manicured lawn is benefiting is people. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about how we can cut down our impact with lawn care. So the first is my least favorite thing, the mowing. Go ahead, Casey. Did you have something to add? I did just Google it because I was like, 40 million acres. What does that even look like? Um, the state of Pennsylvania, where I'm from, is only 29.5 million acres. So this is an area significantly larger than the state of Pennsylvania that we're talking about right now. There you go. That's all, all broken up into tiny pieces. <laughs> yeah. A good image for you. And Casey, previously, when we were talking about bird watching, I think think the number was the number of 57 million Americans mm -hmm. that uh that feed backyard birds we've got 54 million Americans that are mowing their lawns each weekend and all of that lawn equipment usually is gas powered so about 800 million gallons of gas used in this lawn equipment plus an additional and I'm definitely part of this 17 million gallons that are spilled <laughs> each year. And of course, engines from different types of equipment can vary, but approximately one gas-powered mower running for one hour, and it usually takes me at least two hours to mow my lawn, uh, but one, one gas-powered mower running for an hour equals about a 500-mile trip in a car. So this is not negligible stuff. This has, it has an impact for sure. So your easy sustainable action here is if you're like me, and you don't like mowing the lawn, don't do it as often. Mow less often. You can push it back to every other week, and there have been some studies looking at that, whether you mow once a week, every other week, or every three weeks, that mowing every other week might actually be the healthiest for your lawn, too. So not only better for your lawn, but better for the environment as well. So mow your lawn less often. Also leave the lawn clippings. That returns nutrients to the soil. So don't worry about bagging and raking. And just use that extra time instead of mowing. Sit out and enjoy nature <laughs> instead. So that's one, again, you don't have to do anything different. Of course, if the time comes and you're looking at getting a new mower or something like that, you can think about electric mowers. But in the meantime, 
just cut back, dial back on, on your mowing. And some people, of course, live in places where they have HOAs that aren't going to allow them to, to do it. Your neighbors might give you the side eye every once in a while, but if they do, just let them know you're just helping the environment. So, so that's an easy one when it comes to, to mowing, but this isn't the only part of lawn care that we have. Did you have something else to add, Keith? I did. I will say Andrew is a anti-mower. He hates mowing lawns. He's also like pro dandelion, which as a person who grew up in a garden center, just feels like blasphemy to me. Um, but I'm coming around to this obviously as an environmentalist, um, but don't go so long as to get cited by the government for the state of your lawn, which is a thing in some areas. So if you're going to decide not to mow your lawn at all, just make sure you're aware of what your local guidelines are. And I'm sure we're going to do later episodes where if you want to do a more substantial work that we can, we can help make that lawn mowing overall go down. But yeah, like every other week, totally acceptable amount of time not to mow your lawn. Yeah, And I do it less often than that in my backyard which is fenced in so nobody has to see it but me my backyard becomes a meadow I'm gonna track it this year I want to say last year maybe I mowed my backyard four times so wow (laughs) my my front yard I can't usually yeah I can't usually go more than uh, every other week on my front yard but but my backyard I'll go longer than that so and again yeah Casey's right all of this can go more in depth, but today, these are for the, the days that you just want something easy to know that you're still making a difference. So there's one for you mowing. My next one is weeding, which is another thing I just don't do. And Casey, you just kind of touched on this, but you're a gardener. I don't, I don't garden. I don't do anything in my yard. As a gardener, how, how do you handle weeds? You mentioned dandelions a little bit in the lawn, but how do you handle weeds? Do you do any herbicides, fertilizer, things like that for your lawn care? Like I said, Andrew's very anti-mo. He's also very anti-lawn, which I am too. We, we're not really committed to the, so ours, ours is a, a pr- pretty biodiverse lawn, mm-hmm. quote unquote. It's pretty weedy. Same. And Andrew honestly picks those and feeds them to the tortoises. Um, so we don't put any sort of chemicals down in our yard. For fertilizer, I will use organic slow-release fertilizers rather than doing something that's going to be kind of a quick fix because you do need to worry about sort of the, the way you're impacting the soil structure and the environment. One of the ways even outside of your lawn that you can cut down on weeds is to do things like mulching. Mulching helps uh, plants retain more moisture and to be able to reduce the amount of weeds that pop up, it helps suppress them. But I will also say not only is this slightly a slacker's guide, it's also a slightly cheaper guide. Like you're buying less gas for your mower and less wear and tear on your mower. You're spending less money on poisons to put on your plants, um, which you have to be thinking about does impact that greater ecosystem. We talked a little bit about backyard birds and that's actually something I didn't talk about last week is limiting the amount of pesticides, fertilizers and herbicides that you put on your garden is one way that you can help that whole wildlife wasteland impact of your lawn um, and allow for a little bit more biodiversity and help those animals like birds be able to find cover in the long grass and also find food. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one that I remember from when I was a kid is raking leaves. Ugh, hated raking leaves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I didn't, didn't like raking them, but I did like jumping in them when I was little. Uh, but you might think, well, you know, if you're using a rake, if you're not using a leaf blower, what's, what's the big deal with that? And there's a couple of, of ways that not raking your leaves can actually benefit the environment. So first of all, according to the EPA, about 10 and a half million tons of yard waste. So this is not just leaves, but million tons of 10.5 million tons of yard waste was sent to the landfill in 2018. So this not only then takes up space in the landfill, but also as it starts to break down can release methane, which is a greenhouse gas, into the environment. But also, leaving leaves on the ground provides a natural mulch, returns nutrients to the ground, and provides essential habitat for a lot of different types of animals, including invertebrates. Um, you know, a lot of moth and butterfly caterpillars will overwinter in the leaves as well. So this is another way you can provide a natural habitat for native species in your backyard and save some work for yourself as well. So a couple of things to point out here is yes, of course, if you just leave the leaves fall right where they're at and you have a lot of leaves that fall in your yard, could that kill your grass? Yep. Uh, and uh, that is what I do in my yard. And I am a-okay with my grass dying because then I have less to mow, as we've already discussed. And I just kind of let other natural ground cover take, take over there too. But if you are someone who doesn't want that to happen or you are in a situation where HOA or, or other ordinances won't allow you to do that, what you can do is instead of raking and bagging leaves, just rake your leaves up. You can rake them up around the base of a tree or something like that. So they're not spread out as much over your lawn, but they're still providing that overwintering habitat and uh, natural mulch and returning those nutrients to the ground. Caveat number two for this is if you have a, a lot of leaves that are falling onto like your sidewalk, driveways, or streets, you do want to rake those. So get those up uh, off of those sort of non-porous surfaces. Those could run off into storm drains and cause issues with water quality. So get those leaves out of there, but leave them around the base of trees. You could also move them if you are a gardener. You can move them into your flower beds or garden beds and use them as kind of a natural mulch and, and weed preventer there as well. Yeah, I if they fall on your sidewalk, this is a good opportunity for you to mend those fences that you decided to tear down, decided to stop entirely mowing your lawn and get the city called on you. Um, <laughs> make sure you're still being a good neighbor. But I will also say that the first year that Andrew and I lived in our current home, we have huge, huge maple trees around the neighborhood, which is wonderful. And I love them, but they do put down a lot of leaves. And when we left them in the street too long, they matted down slowly broke down in the street and now it's like worse to park there it's degrading the quality of the roads so this year we raked them up immediately and threw them in our front yard so again you're keeping those nutrients within its natural cycle um, and we had to worry less about having to like drive over them when it's wet like it's not a good not a good look it's not great so it's beneficial to you to do just that little bit of work you don't have to wait rake any of your other leaves just rake those good tip uh, any other, before we move to some, some indoor things, any other yard tips, Casey? Oh, I mean, we're going to talk about gardening eventually yeah. in like a, a food way, but 
it is a cultural thing in the U.S. that we love lawns. It, I think, is worth re-examining our relationships with our lawns and thinking, like, my grandfather has an immaculate lawn and his son has an immaculate lawn. And that's personally not something that appealed to me, but if it's something that's, like, in your family, maybe it's worth just taking a look at, like, why do we do this? And is it really some, the, the hill I'm willing to die on is this particular hill and thinking about ways that maybe we can rethink the lawn in the future. But first you can just start by doing less work on it. Awesome. So moving inside, uh, another thing that we all have to do is laundry. So thinking about laundry, how can we make laundry a little easier on us and a little better for the environment? Around 10% of a home's electricity use is going to go to your washer and dryer. So when we're talking about being more eco-friendly with our laundry, we're mostly going to be talking about how can we reduce the energy use and how can we reduce water use. And those two things kind of go hand in hand. So 10% of a home's electricity use goes to the washer and dryer. Here's the one that blew me away. Anywhere from about 75% to 90% of the energy used by washing machines is used for heating the water. So not spinning that barrel around yeah, and around. That's the easy part. <laughs> Most of the energy goes to heating the water. So you can probably guess what your easy eco-friendly tip is right there. Stop heating your water. Do your laundry on cold. Easy. And quite honestly, this is the way that I have done laundry anyway, prior to even knowing this fact for my entire adult life. Are, are you a laundry sorter, Casey? Do you sort your laundry? It's a weird question to ask somebody. I'm a lazy person <laughs> at heart when it comes to household chores, at least. Uh, and I remember my mom talking about sorting clothes. Yeah. And I will say Andrew did put in his brand new unwashed martial arts red wraps into a load of laundry and turned many of my white things pink. But we don't generally sort it unless it's new. Yeah. I, yeah, I learned to, to do laundry by sorting. Absolutely. So sorting, sorting your lights and darks, looking at your fabric, um, you know, washing your darks in colder water, but a lot of times your lights or your linens, you're washing in warmer water. Once I got to college, all of that went out the window because you needed quarters for those washing machines. And I was saving my quarters and I was like, this is stupid. I'm just going to throw it all in together. And it never caused a problem, so I just kept doing it even after I got my own washer and dryer. So uh, not only now have I learned that that is actually better for the environment in terms of that energy use, but washing in cold water actually can also extend the life of your clothes. So it, it can reduce the shrinking and fading. And that's another podcast episode for you there is the environmental impact of our clothes and buying new clothes. So preserve the life of your clothes. Keep those a, a little bit longer. And then, of course, the, the other ways that you can kind of minimize your energy use here is, is to wash clothes less often. So you don't have to wash everything after you've worn it once. Some things you probably should, other things you don't need to. Um, and then making sure you're trying to, to save things up so that you can do a full load. Um, all of those things are going to reduce your environmental impact when you do laundry. You can also just make sure that you're adjusting your load size to save water use. So if you do have a smaller load that you have to do, just make sure you are uh, adjusting your machine appropriately so that it's not using 
too much water for you. But I think the cold water thing is, is a big thing. And again, that's maybe just the way that a lot of us were raised to do it. And so we think that's the right way to do it. I don't even look at labels anymore. The The only time I will look at clothing labels is when I am buying something to see if, is it machine washable and can I put it in the dryer? And then beyond that, I don't really pay attention to what the labels say. I throw everything in on cold and I haven't had uh, really, uh, nobody's told me that my clothes look dirty. I haven't had any issues with stains not coming out and things like that. I think detergents have gotten better. There are specific cold water detergents that are formulated to work better in cold water, but even a lot of times regular detergents um, do, do still work fine in colder water. So give that a try. Save yourself a little energy, save yourself a little money, um, and save yourself from having to do multiple loads by sorting your laundry. Drying can be a little tougher if you are using a machine. And again, there are all kinds of ways that we could try to cut out the dryer, but today's episode is about making things easier. So I'm not going to ask you to give up your electric dryer right now. Um, but clothes dryers are, are one of the top energy using appliances. So I've seen, I've actually seen it both ways that it's the refrigerator and the dryer or the dryer and the refrigerator, uh, but those are kind of the top two of the main household appliances in terms of energy use. So Casey, if you had to guess, would you say it's better to wash or it's better to dry your clothes on high heat, which would be quicker or low heat? That's going to take a longer time. I would say lower just because that's kind of, if you're not even putting them in the dryer at all and you're trying to save those fibers, that would be like the lowest yeah. heat and then yeah. just drying. So I would say lower heat, longer time. Yeah, you are correct. That is that is the way to do it if you're trying to be eco-friendly. So if you're using that lower heat, again, that's going to be more akin to air drying. So even though that might make your machine run longer, um, that is going to reduce the energy usage for you. So that's actually something that I do anyway because I'm paranoid and I worry about my uh, dryer like vent catching on fire. <laughs> so I wash things on low or dry things on low heat anyway. Uh, and then after the fact learns that, that that's the more energy efficient way to do it. Other little things that you can do are just making sure that you clean, clean that lint trap regularly, which hopefully everybody does anyway. Um, and then if your dryer does have a moisture sensor on it, use that moisture sensor instead of the timed dryer, uh, and that'll prevent you from over drying your clothes and keeping them in there for too long. Another bonus little tiny thing that I've done is that I stopped using dryer sheets. I don't know, some, I don't even really know what dryer sheets are supposed to do, but I saw no difference uh, in anything after I stopped using dryer sheets. So just one less thing to go in the landfill. And apparently dryer sheets can also call, cause a film buildup on your dryer filter. So if you are using dryer sheets, scrub your filters. But you can add something else that you can do is add um, those like lint balls to your dryer and that, that can help reduce drying time as well. Uh, I would also say that I, uh, again, this is also the cheap man's yes. way of doing this what as well. Or, you know, someone, you, it, lower energy means lower bills too. So if you're someone who's like, you can't touch my thermostat because I don't want to pay higher energy bills, this is another way to contribute to your lifestyle of saving your pennies 
is to lower down the cost for that. And this is also something that plenty of people who don't own their own washer and dryer are already doing is doing laundry less often, um, for example. And so this is, I think, another example of people who don't have a lot of expendable money oftentimes are already doing the green yeah. thing <laughs> um, in in that they don't really have the time for convenience in that they don't have enough cash to get the same level of convenience. And so you're trying to do it the most economical way. And oftentimes the most economical way can also be the most eco-friendly way. Not always, but oftentimes. Yeah. All right, Casey, this next one is for you. So we, we started with my least favorite household chore and we'll uh, kind of wrap up the chores here with your least favorite. And this is one that I did I'll say wrong, quote unquote wrong. I did maybe the the least efficient way for a long time, not knowing that I I thought I was doing it the more environmentally friendly way. And I would hand wash all of my dishes, even though I had a dishwasher. Um, so this this was as as an adult when I moved out and was living on my own. I hand washed my dishes because I just I thought that that made sense in my brain that that would be more efficient and better for the environment than using this big machine. However, generally speaking, celebrate everyone using your dishwasher is actually going to be more efficient. And sometimes, depending on what dishwasher you have and how what method you use to hand wash your dishes, it's going to be way, way more efficient than hand washing. So use that dishwasher and know that not only are you saving yourself valuable time, you are saving the environment. Way to go. Um, there are a couple of caveats. And you don't have to touch wet you food. Don't, this Gross. isn't you. So Casey, I know you, I know you have a thing about hair and now you have a thing about wet food too. No, I think it stems from the fact that I don't eat salads. Like I just think their texture is disgusting. And my whole rest of the family did with all their nasty ranch dress it all over it. And then they put it in the sink and then I'd have to touch it. Are you kidding me? I'm not about that, that life. So, um, yeah, that's, I think part of where the stem is going, uh, where that stemmed from going in psychologically, but I am not a huge, it's like, if, if it's a food I've eaten for some reason, that's fine. But if it's a food someone else eats and I don't, I'm not going to try and explain it anymore. Okay. I hate dishes. Stop doing them by hand. If you have the option. <laughs> in the dishwasher. Yeah. It's, it's true. And you don't even, don't, don't even pre-rinse them. If you're, if you're pre-rinsing before you're putting in, in your dishwasher, stop doing that. For the most part, you don't need to do that anymore scrape off excess food in into the trash or compost if you've got it and then just put it right into that dishwasher so when people have studied this to determine if this is what really is the most eco-friendly way they found that hand washing dishes can take anywhere from 9 to 27 gallons of water whereas dishwashers can use as little as 4 to 16 gallons of water. So again, there is some overlap. Maybe if you have a really old, really inefficient dishwasher, you might be able to do your dishes more efficiently hand washing. If you're curious, it looks like the most efficient way to hand wash your dishes. You have to have a dual like a two basin sink. So those like farmhouse sinks that have become sort of the trend, I think those will not <laughs> allow you to wash your dishes uh, as efficiently. But if you do have your dishes soaking in one side in hot water, that's that where is where you clean them and scrub them. And then you have 
uh, cold water in the other side of the sink that you just rinse them off there and then let them air dry. That's the most efficient way to hand wash your dishes. So if you've got a super old dishwasher or you don't have a dishwasher, uh, that's the most energy efficient way that you can wash your dishes. But for the most part, if you have a relatively decent dishwasher, it's going to do a better job, um, not only with the amount of water, but even with the heating of the water. So a lot of times dishwashers will actually have he heaters that heat the water that they use as opposed to you having to heat the water through your home water heater. So it's going to be able to heat that water more efficiently for you. There was a quote that I found, and I, I hope I don't butcher his name, Jonah Sheen, I think would be how you say that. And he has quite the job title. He's with the, the EPA's Water Sense program, and he is the national program manager for homes and buildings. And he has this quote that says, in order to wash the same amount of dishes that can fit in a single load of a full-size dishwasher and use less water, you would need, need to be able to wash eight full place settings and still limit the total time that the faucet was running to less than two minutes. Just to give you an idea of what the water usage comparison looks like there. Um, in addition to water usage, another way if you are using that dishwasher, another easy change that you can make to cut down on your energy use is the drying part. So just make sure you shut off your heat dry because that's going to take up a lot more energy as well. So you can cut down on your energy. You save even more money by turning off that heat dry on your dishwasher. So hopefully all of those uh, tips will save you, save you some time, money, and energy on your household chores and help the environment as well. Um, but the last thing that I wanted to mention here, if you want to be thinking about ways that you can make a difference without um, having to make a major change, one of the most important things that you can do is to be an advocate. And Casey and I touched on this in our introduction episode, actually, where we talked about individual actions versus bigger governmental policy changes and things like that. And, you know, we both feel that both are, both are important to us. So one of the things that you can do personally is use your voice. So all of these small changes, individual changes, lifestyle behavior changes that we can make do add up and they do make a difference. But, you know, we talked about Earth Day at the beginning of this episode and Earth Day is a great reminder of what can happen when we do all come together and, and use our voice. Um, and that led to those big policy changes that we talked about. So an easy way, if you want to start to get into being an environmental advocate, one of the ways that you can start doing that is by following your local environmental organizations, and they're going to help keep you up to date on what some of the issues are going on around you. Or uh, if you have something that you're passionate about, like, oh, I don't know, sustainable fishing, <laughs> like Casey was saying, you can follow organizations that are specific to that aspect of conservation, and they're going to give you ideas as well. They're going to have specific calls to action. And then you just have to take that next step and actually do it and send that email or make that phone call and use your voice to help with that. You're already scrolling on social media. So yeah. go, go send an email if you get a chance or, or call. Yeah, no, there's definitely going to be concrete policy changes that lots of your, it could be really hyper local to your city or your town, all the way up to the federal governmental level um, and influencing foreign policy as well. Cause we're talking about things like energy usage and climate change and 
that impacts things like trade. So if you follow those organizations and you find the ones that you trust, they're going to be able to do a lot of the research for you. Another great thing that you yeah. can slack on <laughs> instead of having to be entirely knowledgeable about every single piece of legislation or every single issue, they're going to do the research for you. And you just need to advocate alongside them to make those changes in policy as well. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap things up here for our main discussion, hopefully that gave you a, a few ideas and, and gave you a few things that you can very easily incorporate into your life. And um, there are probably some other things that you can think of too. If you have other ideas, share them with us again, find us on Instagram, find us on Facebook, let us know the easy things that you're doing in your life to make a, a more sustainable change. And also just think about almost any time that you can do less, that's going to be the more environmentally friendly thing to do. And I don't mean that in a humorous way. I don't mean that to encourage uh, being lazy or idle. But if we think about like the three R's that are now the four R's, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, replenish, that first one is reduce. So, so what can you just stop doing? You know, maybe that's taking a shower every other day instead of every day. Um, maybe it's reducing your driving time by consolidating your errands instead of making multiple small trips. Um, maybe it is deciding uh, not to go out for that shopping trip and just hanging out and doing something fun at home instead. Anytime you can make a little change um, to reduce your consumption, whether that's of a product or a fossil fuel um, or, or water or whatever the case may be, that's going to have a positive environmental impact. So just something to keep in mind. But if you've got other thoughts, other ideas, find us, let us know, let us know what you're doing. And stay tuned. We'll be back in a few minutes to wrap things up. All right, everybody. Our last segment of the week is our action. Every week, we're going to give you an action to do. And this one is a little less specific, right? Sarah, what is our action for the week? Yeah, so this is, is very general, but uh, that was kind of on purpose. So again, hopefully we gave you some ideas today, some things to think about. In honor of Earth Day, we are asking you to think of what is one sustainable change that you can make in your life right now that you can commit to this week. So whether it's one of the things that we talked about, whether it's something that you've been thinking about doing for a while that you're finally going to make that commitment to, it can be big, it can be small. Just think of one sustainable change that you can commit to making right now and let us know what it is. If you need uh, other inspiration for this one, I mean, there's plenty of places that you can look uh, online. You can also visit earthday.org. They've got a lot of great suggestions and action items that you can do there. Yeah, and I think it, I, something I like about something actually that's a little less specific is we all live very individual mm -hmm. lives with different habits and different means of doing things. So this is something that's very personal to you, but it's a good idea to just take a look at your own life and find those areas where you can change. And all the ones that Sarah suggested are all ones that require even less work than you're doing right now. So don't feel like you have to be pressured to make more time for things. Uh, another thing that you can do for us is just to follow us on Instagram at a little greener pod 
on Facebook, you can find us at a little greener podcast. Uh, if you have feedback or suggestions for what you want to hear from us in the future, you can also reach out to us at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. So that's an email, obviously, specifically for this podcast. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you're doing. We want to hear the, the feedback and suggestions. We are new podcasters. Today is actually the first podcast that we're making where a podcast has actually been released. Like this is our first time getting feedback from you guys. And really like we were, we were so thrilled on debut day. I guess I should speak for myself. I was just riding a high. Everything else could fall to the wayside. I was so excited to share what we're doing and hopefully build a little bit of a community. So thank you guys so much for supporting us. Any sort of sharing this podcast or anything helps get the word out a little bit farther and you guys are going to help shape us for the future. So make sure that you're, you're telling us how we're doing and telling us what you want from us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that you, Casey, you can definitely speak for both of us. We were both excited and <laughs> we've been so appreciative of the feedback that we've gotten already and we can't wait to keep growing with you guys. So thanks for listening this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got a little something from it and we hope to be back here with you next week. Stay safe. See you on Thursday.